Abandon uh, hope, all ye who enter. We're gonna go through something right now together that's very hard to deal with. To die would be an awfully big adventure. Right. Free your Welcome back to the basics, friends, family. We are here in the dojo, and ooh-wee do we have something special for you. A movie based off a book, based off a poem, that poem being Dante's Inferno, baby, Beatrice! Allow us to be your guide from this epic hero's journey from heaven to hell, a journey that transcends worlds, one of love, loss, and a family. Welcome to What Dreams May Come. Midway upon the journey of our life, I found myself within a dark forest. For the straightforward path had been lost. Today we're talking about Dante's Inferno. You mean what dreams may come. Dante's Inferno. So Robin Williams <laughs> starred in a movie in the 1990s titled What Dreams May Come, inspired very much by... You know what's interesting is I looked at like as much as behind the <clears throat> scenes as I could, and I couldn't find anywhere where Richard Matheson... The, the author of the book? Yeah, was it 1978? He wrote the book, What Dreams May Come. Mm -hmm. 1998, I think it's like literally 20 years later. Oh, wow. They adapted it into a film. But I couldn't find anywhere. Maybe it's on user error, user <laughs> error. But I couldn't find anywhere they said like, yo, this is a modern take on Dante's Inferno. Mm. Like, I couldn't find that connection. So would you go as far to say that this is what... This is, then, what dreams may come? Is that a modern take on Dante's I would say Inferno? it's a modern take on Dante's Inferno. I guess that's the way I would describe uh -huh. it. I would describe it. Because it, when we were watching it, right, uh, another movie we watched together, we, we, Josh, I guess, experienced it for the first time, right? Eddie came to me years ago, <laughs> and we had pitched this idea of, let's do an episode all about Ron Williams. Mm-hmm. And we are definitely going to get into Robin Williams later on in the episode. <clears throat> but it's you. I was like, you know what? There's still like a lot of Robin Williams movies I haven't seen. Yeah. So I want to educate myself before talking about the man and his work mm -hmm. um, to kind of go on that journey to experience a lot of his films. And first and foremost, Eddie was like, look, dude, <laughs> what dreams may come. What's so wild about that entire notion that you came to me with that specific movie is I am a massive fan. Like fanboy, like the actual definition of fan, fanatic. I'm a fanatic of Dante's Inferno. Yeah. And, and you've, you've talked about that before, right? But the way that like you, I think you came to me and you're like, well, I think it's like Dante's mm -hmm. Inferno. Because I, I don't know the whole story, right? I've never read the book. Um, Poem. Okay, yeah. And I've never read the Divine Comedy, right? Um, and so this film, loosely based on, I would say that has a lot of the same elements, pretty much the same story, just key changes, character changes, things like that. But I wasn't super familiar with it like you are. Mm -hmm. So I... Grew up watching the movie, had seen it with my family multiple times. Um, and to me, it's one of my favorite Robin Williams movies. And when you would talk about Dante's Inferno and you're very passionate about it, you'd be like, hey, like you should read this. Right. And so you would always recommend to me Dante's Inferno. And I think that's what sparked it in my head. And I was like, it sounds a lot like this movie that I've seen with one of our favorite actors. And so I was like, you should really see this movie. <laughs> Absolutely wild. And so that was just, it was just kind of this, uh, to me, it was like this whole beautiful, um, 
painting, right? Like all these kind of ah. colors kind of uh, <laughs> came to life, much mm-hmm. like what dreams may come. And, it, and the way it, the 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 origin of this episode to me is is pretty cool. That's why we're talking about mm-hmm. it. But mm-hmm. it's just pretty cool how it came to be. And um, so we did sit down, we watched it, and what a treat (laughs) chef's kiss as it were right um so we'll let's talk a little bit about the film um travel back to the 1990s 1998 (laughs) with what dreams may come starring robin williams cuba gooding jr and there's another i i do like the older gentleman in the film i don't know his name Um, no but i believe he's passed now correct um, when I see, I didn't even know who was in the movie until he popped up. I did recognize like his voice and his acting style, and just like he has that. I was like um, Virgil, bro. I was like <laughs> Virgil because I was like Cuba Gooding Jr. is Virgil. Yeah, Virgil's the guy. The guy in mm-hmm. in in Dante's Inferno. Um, but I'll I do want to uh, talk about uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. for a moment. I had paused the film when we were watching it, and I was mm-hmm. just like. Now, I I know Cuba Gooding Jr. throughout the years got into some hot water. I, I believe so. Yeah. I didn't research what it was about. Mm-hmm. I think maybe some. I don't want to throw I think allegations out there, but it was something wild. I don't know. I think he's definitely like blacklisted in Hollywood. That's something, why you don't really see him in films anymore. Something happened. I think he killed his career with uh, the radio movie. It's radio. Radio. I mean, that movie wasn't that bad. You never go full. You know what I'm saying? You never go full. But he did in uh, much like kind of Sean Penn, uh, he he did that and uh, went Um, full. uh, What's Tropic Thunder? (laughs) What's what's the the character in Tropic? Jack. Simple Jack. He went full Simple Jack. That's Mm -hmm. all I'll say. And uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. really didn't do anything after that, I think. But he got caught up in some legal stuff. Possibly, yeah. I don't know too much about it. But in this film... But holy moly, I had paused the film. And I was like, bro, it was so... It was so nice to be able to turn on a movie and see Robin Williams smile. A smile that is so infectious. To see his smile and to see Cuba Gooding Jr.'s smile and to hear Cuba's voice. And just, I was just like, bro, I miss Cuba. I, I didn't even know at this age of my life I miss Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> like, w- one thing I do want to get on in this episode was mm-hmm. the chef's kiss of this experience as a film was just like, man, being able to put on a movie and getting getting teleported back to the past. Mm-hmm. And experiencing this, it was very artistic film. Yeah, that was one thing that they did. It was like a new style in this film, right? Without all of this forced propaganda, I would say. Mm -hmm. I know that's a strong word, but when we talk about Hollywood, there's a lot of propaganda. It's not the new age filmmaking. No, it felt so natural. And Cuba Gooding Jr., hearing his voice and... His role in that film was phenomenal. Mm. Um, the energy between him and Robin was phenomenal. That's just I kind of wanted to bring that out first and foremost yeah, because they have I very was, good chemistry on film. I was very surprised at Cuba Gooding Jr. and he's not in the whole film. Bits and pieces. Spoilers. Nineteen ninety eight. Wake up. What year is it? What year is it? Another Robin Williams film. What year is it? Uh, it was brand new. No. What year is it? The thing about Robin Williams and Cuba Gooding Jr. is when they smile, they not only smile like with their teeth or with their lips, right? But it's it's very much in the eyes and you can see they're very expressive. And that's one thing that I kept noticing throughout the film is like when Robin Williams smile, he's very expressive. He's just just so happy and he laughs and that was... Something that I think when we were watching it, we were just like, look at how energetic they are, like how much energy they have. And it was something that very much stood out to me, being that this film in itself has a very dark overtone, has a very like, it it deals with mental health, right? Go to hell. 
in, into the void, right? Um, so it deals with depression, deals with um, certain ideations. Um, loss. Loss, yes, yeah. Uh, loss of children, loss of spouses. Um, so there are a lot of serious tones in this film and that kind of like leads me to like the fact that I guess Robin Williams, uh, we were able to find a little bit behind the scenes that Robin Williams didn't necessarily want to do the film at first. And that was something that like I kind of like wanted to see was like, what was Robin Williams opinion on doing a film of this type? Because naturally he usually does very happy films, very mm -hmm. like. Um, where he is, his comedic side can just shine. And so this one was a little bit different. And so it was interesting to me when we were able to see that. And I was like, okay, that's kind of what I wanted was him speaking on. Like, was he fully on board for this film? Or was it something that he kind of shied away from? I feel <clears throat> like Robin Williams was a perfect choice for this because... I wasn't expecting him to smile as much. Like, you told me the premise of it, and mm -hmm. I was like, okay, well, I mean, you have a man. Let, let's get into a little bit of kind of what it, the movie's about. Yeah. You have a husband and wife. Mm -hmm. They have two children. The two children uh, die, uh, pass away in a car wreck. Car wreck. This, After, like, the beginning of the film. Yeah, this uh, creates a divide between the husband and wife. The wife goes into a manic, uh, depressed state of... Mm -hmm. Of, of loss and it kind of puts her into uh which i haven't heard the word in a while but ron williams has said she goes into a sanatorium oh yes yeah. right yeah we don't have those anymore yeah. right um so it was it was interesting how the wife goes because she's so connected to her children she's a mother mm -hmm. um amazing themes in this movie by the way god bless the 90s you have themes of family themes of motherhood themes of being a father being a husband that reminds me of um when we were watching the film i think you also paused it or you you like took the time to notice something that was very evident was the way um that they would kiss them on the forehead or like physical affection right mm -hmm. and that's something that always stood out to me um in smallville was everything was like they would physically touch them or kiss them on the head or like, so you can see that connection. Whereas nowadays um, you probably wouldn't see that in films so Insults. much anymore. You get a lot of children insulting their parents mm -hmm. because they like to belittle the father. They like to mm -hmm. specifically men, but they like to belittle the mother, belittle the family, the household, the, the whole vibe of what family is. Uh, it's just completely gone in modern filmmaking. And if it is in there, it's in a it's not taken serious. Yeah. The tone, the writing, it's to undermine, I believe would be mm -hmm. the right word, uh, to undermine the entire construct of the nuclear family. Mm -hmm. I know that's buzzword these days, but no, the physical, when I had paused it, the physical kiss was, I was like, bro, you know, you're watching a 90s movie when the mother is straight. Oh, not open mouth kissing, but they kiss <laughs> the, the the child and the mom kiss straight on the lips. Yeah, bro. And I had very, I was like, bro, that's so nineties, bro. Like, yeah, it was a uh, it it was interesting. <clears throat> but you know that is it just shows you their relationship, mm -hmm. right? And um, and so that 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 definitely was a, a a strong foundation for the film that just had that family. Yeah, it set it up really early from the start of the film so that it could impact the loss of the children. So it the showed journey, you right? it the showed you journey. this this perfect family what it seemed like and I think we talked about that later in the film was it showed a perfect family and then slowly throughout the film as you know we're going through the journey you start to see there were cracks right there were things that they were dealing with that you may not have seen on first sight mm -hmm. and um so as you mentioned before uh, they do lose their children it sends both the mother and the father into different ways of coping with loss whereas robin williams character um chris i believe 
Chris. He chooses to be very stoic and handle it as um as is very common for the man to be strong, right? He, he believes attached himself. Correct. From the loss. Yeah. And he explains in the film, he's like, Well, I just thought as the man, as you know, the husband, the father. father I had to do this a certain way. I had to be strong because I could see that you were struggling. So I chose to internalize and deal with it that way because I didn't think I could, right? And it's interesting to see him change that aspect later in the film. He says, that was just me being weak. I internalized because that was my way to not show my weakness. That was a weak man's way of dealing with it. I should have come with you into your place of loss with mm -hmm. you. I should have went with you into that place. Correct. It, it, which is very powerful. We'll get into it a little later towards the yeah. end of the film. Um, but what what basically very quickly happens is Robin Williams, uh, Chris, he uh, soon after his children pass away, he dies mm. in a very 90s way. It was almost reminiscent of a certain uh, producer, film director, car flips on top of him. He wakes up. And what is heaven? So you have a man losing his children. They get divorced, right? The wife calls and she talks about divorce. Mm, so this, mm -hmm. this, this wedge deepens. Yeah. It, splits, it splits the husband and wife. And Robin Williams uh, ends up dying in a accident. And he wakes up in heaven mm -hmm. and so the wife is left alone yeah she's she has no children the man that she loves uh is gone and she's alone and you see her journaling see her writing and stuff um one thing i know this movie won like uh some academy awards i believe it won like visuals and there's a lot of issues with the visuals from like critics I think a lot of people didn't like it, right? I know it was filmed, um, I think, on a specific type of like Fuji film. Only one or a few other f projects were ever filmed with. Mm. So it definitely very. It looks very different, and the C like there's lots of CGI. Ron Williams says uh, he gets asked in an interview. I thought it was funny. He was like, "So how was it? Was you know working on being on set, working on this movie?" And he was like, "A lot of green." <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of all he says though because it just green screen yeah and it just kind of gives you the a, a testament to how good of an actor he is and how good that cgi is for that time in 1998 because you can see a lot of films nowadays can't even utilize cgi when we were looking at the film itself the movie we we're like are they actually there on top of a cliff like it looked very parts of it Looked like they were on set on location. And that's a lot what of it looked like they were back. They forth. were outside, like on set, yeah. like on some Lord of the Rings vibes. Mm -hmm. Like it, they weren't in a studio a lot of the times. And I think that was part of like that refreshing part is like, look at them on location. Practical. Practical effects. And it just adds a different layer to it. And obviously, you can see when it goes into like that painting type of way, I thought it was actually really cool, like star, style of a way to do a film. So the wife was a painter. That was her profession. And mm -hmm. so she would paint these beautiful landscapes. And Robin Williams is heaven. Chris's heaven was paintings. It was this mm -hmm. his own imagination. And Cuba Gooding is like his guide. Mm -hmm. And I loved the way the CG was. I was tripping out on it at first. Mm -hmm. How before you see Cuba Gooding Jr., he's like this shade, this shifting like blur. Yeah. It's not like you would see maybe like a demon or an angel, mm -hmm. right? This supernatural kind of entity. And then once Robin Williams kind of the frequencies align and he realizes he's in heaven, he could see. And I think he was allowing himself to finally see who the person was, right? And I think Cuba Gooding Jr. says that or someone says it later on as he's meeting people throughout his journey he's like once you want to see them you'll, you'll see them you'll see them yeah and so i think he finally started to accept that maybe i'm not alive anymore because at first he's just like why are you telling me i'm dead like what do you mean i can see you i can i can see my feet like i'm not dead i can't be 
And so throughout his journey of being in heaven, he starts to find out a little bit more, see different things, learn that he is dead. He can start to see his wife on the outside of what she's dealing with. Like he can see her going through his funeral and everybody mourning him. Um, so it almost kind of seems like he was at, at, at like a limbo stage at that per at that point, like not fully in heaven. Um, sort of like he was just coasting by in the middle ground there. Um, where it really gets interesting though is the fact that his heaven was like paintings, mm -hmm. but then her paintings start to influence his heaven. And it brought up something really interesting that I think we like discussed on a little bit was, um, and they even mentioned it in the film, like soulmates. It's very rare, but Kubo Gooding Jr. says they do exist. And that speaks to the bond that they have throughout the whole film and the journey that they go on, similar to uh, Beatrice and Dante, mm -hmm. right? Dante's journey into hell to go save Beatrice. Is that correct? Beatrice! I Annie! <laughs> what was so amazing about all the parallels with Dante's Inferno is um, obviously um, I became a fan of Dante's Inferno with the video game that's behind you over there. Okay. EA's Dante's Inferno Go to Hell. That was their tagline. Never line. played it. Uh, you should. Uh, <laughs> it's a basically what you would call, I guess nowadays, a God of War clone. Okay. It's third person, swinging action, hack and slash. Mm. Um, but the way they did the visuals, the way they took the core elements of the original poem um of Kanto Inferno and they adapted it to a video game and they kept all of like the hardcore Roman Catholic imagery of hell the 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 nine circles um I think in which was a bit confusing for the audience but I think in What Dreams May Come, they only show about seven circles of hell. They miss mm -hmm. about two of them. But they go back and forth, back and forth. You see mm -hmm. the gates of hell, which was depicted. I had kind of mentioned it kind of reminded me of a little Waterworld-esque mm -hmm. outworld from uh, Mortal, Kombat. Mortal Kombat. Yeah, it kind of looked like outworld. Almost like the same set, I think you said. Kind you of. I was like, look at Liu Kang, Johnny Cage, Katana. <laughs> you see him running by. <laughs> <clears throat> I can smell her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, it, 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 the beautiful parallels of how in the game you have Dante constantly screaming. It's very, very dramatized, mm. right? Beatrice! I have to go with him, my love. I gave my word. And in this movie, Robin Williams is constantly screaming, yeah. Annie! Annie! And I'm like, how much of this movie that's obviously based on the poem, how much of this movie influenced the game? The game! interesting concept yeah yeah and so it that's where my mind was constantly going right because mm -hmm. i'm just like wait a minute what, what's the origin of the influence because you, you know have so much you have so much data on that now you're seeing it in live action form i guess right mm -hmm. um and the part that you thought i think was really cool was where he dives off the cliff much like when uh dante jumps into the void yeah right um <laughs> and so there are those similarities where like you were telling me because as we're watching the film you're like oh that's just like this or that's just like that dante does this and oh well that's that circle of hell similar but like it, it's different and so you have all this knowledge and i'm just sitting here taking it all in and it's really cool to compare and contrast the two 
Um, so it makes me want to go in and, you know, read a little bit, maybe play the video game. Um, but there are so many similarities in the film. Um, like the guide, the, the male who we mentioned earlier, and I forget his name in this movie, but he would be Virgil in Virgil. He's the guide. Okay. And so you have Dante. So ultimately Mm -hmm. you have a man who lost his children and he went into heaven. The wife with being crushed by all of this, being crushed by reality and life, she eventually commits suicide. Ooh, man, that's a touchy subject. Suicide? Um, it's a very real thing, right? It's a very... Um, but a lot of people shy away from it, talking about it. Mental health in general is not something a lot of people just come out and talk about. And it's obviously something that also relates to Robin Williams and how he passed away. Um, But in this film, yes, the wife does commit suicide. And when that happens, Cuba Gooding Jr. has to come back to Chris and let him know. He even sits him down and you can see his whole tone changes. And he goes, we're going to go through something right now together. That's very hard to deal with. I love how he says, I'm right here. Yeah. Together. What you don't know as an audience member is Cuba Gooding Jr. is actually... It's his son the whole time. It's one of the children. It's his son, yeah. for the child to tell his... I have goosebumps. Oh, I know. This is getting me. (laughs) For the child to sit his father down in heaven and say... Mom just committed suicide. Yeah. Basically. And not only that, because he accepts the idea and he's like, oh, well, when do we get to see her? Like, Annie's here now? It was a little weird, right? It was kind of like... Because he's not even thinking about the mortal life anymore. He's that just world's like, gone. When do we? When are we reconnected? Because they're soulmates, and they're so connected in such a way that, like I said earlier, her paintings are influencing his heaven. Never been done before. But Cuba Gooding Jr. has to tell her, suicides. Suicides go to hell. So this is another theme of the film that is rooted in the um, original concept of the Canto Inferno. It is very the theme of it is very rooted in Roman Catholicism, mm-hmm. um, where suicide is a mortal sin. Correct. Yeah. Um, in in Dante's Inferno, uh, suicides go into the seventh circle of hell. So the lowest circle. No. Oh, there's lower. Mm. Oh, you said there was nine. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, um, but in this film, so maybe that's why they stopped at like seven, right? In this film, see what, what what's interesting as as far as like Dante's Inferno is because he has to deal with with like the devil, yeah. Lucifer, Satan, Satan. whatever mm-hmm. term you want to use. But mm-hmm. Lucifer, he has to deal with the devil. Okay. Because the devil is the one uh, that basically is pulling. And like I say, I'm not overly scholarly involved with the actual poem. Mm-hmm. Most of most of my information is based off of the game. Okay. And mm-hmm. so I origi- originally, that is kind of my pillar of when I talk about it. And I know that the game and the poem, there's a lot of different Because the game is action-based. Yeah. And so you have to have these reasons why Dante goes. You have, you have to, to, have to play it. The, the poem is is a little bit more like political, religious mm-hmm. commentary of, I could be wrong with that, but it's very different. Um, but yeah, they're in the movie, they didn't need to go into any lower circle mm-hmm. past suicide because he needed to get to that circle of hell to get to his wife. Yeah. Thus, we go into the journey of when, you know, they they start descending into circle after circle after circle. And and the the. uh, It's it's not like we're going to start off here, we're going to go into limbo, we're going to go here, 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 go through uh, 
gluttony, lust, right? Because mm. it's basically all based kind of off the, the seven deadly sins. Um, it's interesting how, at least in the game, Dante, when he goes into the seventh circle, um, he finds his mother in the seventh circle of hell because she committed suicide. Oh, okay. So the key difference, I guess. And right? in this movie, the wife commits suicide. Mm. And um, what I did find interesting is they kind of like hint at that a little bit where he like steps on this face in the film and he thinks it's his dad. Well, no, the guy thinks it's his son. Yeah. But Chris then him too, he's like, wait, dad? Like, And he's like, oh, you're here. We're finally like together again in hell. And it's just and really interesting. And he's like, no, wait, no, you're not my son. Like, but everyone always comes. Cuba Gooding Jr. Says, says something where in that circle of hell, I don't think they ever use the term circle. No. I don't think so. But maybe they say stage or something. Well, in, in that part of hell, the suicides, they don't know they're in hell. They don't accept it. They, can't. they don't accept. Oh, when he says they can't accept what they've done. And he just says it in such a way. It's very convicting. And it's some of Cuba Gooding Jr.'s best acting. It's really good. Yeah. Um, in the, uh, I believe in the poem and the game, uh, the suicides in the seventh circle are turned into trees. They're rooted into the ground and they cannot move mm-hmm. and they're living in their delusions. Um, I thought it was interesting on how they did it in this uh, movie where I said, see, look at they're even kind of rooted because they're stuck in the ground Mm -hmm. and all that's above ground is like their face. Mm -hmm. Right. And they're like kind of in a in in a way they're rooted into the ground in a kind of similar. So they're becoming a part of it. And it's interesting, too, when you do find Annie or well, when Chris gets to where annie is and he does find her she's laying on the ground right so she's kind of like laying on her side inside of their house which is like her illusion i guess her hell and he enters the 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 room and you had just mentioned that and she's laying on the ground in the middle of the house almost like where you would find like a tree right in the middle of the forest or something and so it almost symbolizes the same way like she is a part of the center of that of her hell mm-hmm. i guess where the tree would be so i even think their house was covered by roots like giant i think roots so because there was like or things something converging towards the center where she was yeah and that's kind of what it reminded me about so i was like that's interesting there's a lot of elements i would say from what you mentioned about the poem and the game in the movie even some of the imagery if you want to talk about that i love how you go from heaven um to you all of these colors and the way they did it the way they did the graphics to make it look like paint and he's even stepping and stuff and he's moving around he's getting paint all over him Mm -hmm. the dog's paw prints are getting colorful like all this color on him and it's just this beautiful rendition of heaven and then you get into fire and uh you see like the extras in the background where the gates of hell is and they they have like no mouths and they're constantly Mm -hmm. constantly trying to scream but they can't i think while we were watching the film you were like i thought this was going to be a lot darker because like you even mentioned robin williams is just smiling and everything's so happy in the beginning of the film when he gets to heaven and i told you just wait for it it's gonna get very dark very quick Mm -hmm. and as soon as he starts descending to go get annie that's when you start to see everything is just getting worse and worse and everything looks like it's falling apart and like you said people are literally deteriorating and they look like almost like water world like everyone looks like a like a pirate and like all just yeah and it's it's dead people it's people who committed suicide i guess so abandon um, hope all ye who enter and that was oh that part where they're on the the raft and it flips over into the water the river sticks baby 
The boat man. That was let's creepy. Get it? Let's go. That was creepy. Um, I loved a lot of the imagery in in this movie. Uh, what was even wild is when they get onto the boat. Um, well, I I had shown you earlier in the movie mm-hmm. when they kind of like go off onto a cliff's edge, and you see <laughs> the classic scene of of uh, Virgil um, Cuba Gooding Jr. He's uh, pointing off to the distance, and you see all the similarities between the Dante's Inferno and everything. Mm-hmm. A Virgil pointing Dante, guiding him, and once they got onto the boat, I had paused the movie and I started. I started googling uh, like all the old uh, like paintings, like Dante's mm-hmm. Inferno paintings of way back in the day. Um, and we had boom jumped back into the movie, and sure enough, Robin Williams is in the seventh circle, and he walks into his old house, and right there is a giant painting on the wall and it's the original art from Dante's Inferno embedded natively right into the movie. And I was just like, okay, okay, all right. So there is all these connections. Like the director knew it. Like, and that was interesting too because I still can't find, unless it is out there, use your error i still couldn't find any like the director saying okay yeah this is my take of dante's inferno based mm-hmm. off of the novel right and but it was all there and then being on the boat in the river sticks with all everyone fighting everyone cap you know trying to capsize the the boat and oh you got cuba gooden with the lantern on the just trying to like the light the way very well done so uh, it seems like Someone paid very close attention to detail and was passionate about the poem. And that, my friends, is very good filmmaking. Poem or book to screen. And you can see for fans or, yeah, fanatics, right? Fanatics. People who love this content, this material that they get excited when you do things like that when you stay true to detail to lore to history and you put it in and it just it makes it the experience that much better and that's what i remember walking away after having done with this film you said the experience was a cinematic one yeah and 20 i'm glad i didn't watch this in the 90s because i would never appreciated it i think and i would have never probably ever gave it a second chance Mm. but having the the information and the backstory of dante and beatrice and virgil and dante's journey through hell and having that as the backdrop in my mind when i'm watching this live action of 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 these actors i respect and I appreciate. I don't think a film of this style could come out today. I don't think it would be. It would be a, the same, even though that there is computer graphics in this movie. Um, but it would just be a. It, it would just be too much CG. Mm-hmm. It would be too much. Yeah, and I believe they blended the perfect amount. Interesting, because the movie is a box office failure on paper. And we seem to love box office failures. Here in the dojo, the best movies are the ones the world doesn't like. Because <laughs> fuck the world and fuck everyone's opinion. If they can't adjust. Yeah. Um, to be honest, man. Yeah. Like, I believe that's what kind of gives this film that sort of like love for me is because it's not like everything else. It's a little bit different. It's not classic Robin Williams where he's just comedic and happy and laughing all the time. He is sort of in the beginning. You can tell he makes a little bit of jokes, but for the majority, it's out of his comfort zone. It's just a different type of film that you definitely don't see nowadays. Um, One thing, though, I did want to mention. Did Robin Williams invent the Naruto run? screaming annie he's got his hands flailed up behind him he's just running through the painting it's a really interesting part of the thing and i i mean 
obviously I didn't notice it when I was a kid because it wasn't a thing, but like we were watching it and I was like, rewind that back. I was like, hold on. <laughs> Robin Williams just did the Naruto run in 1998. Wild. Crazy. Wild. And it, it was just a part of the film that you do get to see Wild. that like energy, that emotion, that love. And that's a huge um, element in this film is just the love between these two characters that stands the test of time this stands the journey um do you think modern hollywood would write a story of a man descending to the depths of hell leaving heaven and descending to the depths of hell for his love of a woman that is so anti-hollywood bro mm. And that's what makes this cinematic experience, this piece of art, this film, to me, such a grander story. It's a timepiece, 100%, because it was set, like, not only was it made in the 90s and set in that time, but you can just tell it was a product of that time. Because like you mentioned, I don't believe that this film could come out in the same aspect, in the same way, and tell the same story to the same effect now. It would not be done. I don't think people would even attempt to do it because it does not fit modern day narrative. Oh, it would have all kinds of... Uh, Family is not looked at the same way as it was in the 90s. Men and women relationships are not looked at the same way that they were too, in the 90s. It's a book from the 70s. Exactly. So the nuclear family so was very a, old school. Well, see, I don't even like saying that because here in the dojo, it's forefront. We keep it old school. <laughs> no, yeah, we keep family, friendship, 100%, and traditions yeah. um, forefront. Keeping it alive. Keeping it alive, getting back to the basics, baby. Staying nostalgic. And so it's, it's just like this movie represents what Hollywood used to be, right? Telling good stories of men and women and family and love. And we've said it before, and that is what separates the art from all the trash that's out nowadays. Keyword, you trash. art and you have trash. Yeah. Stuff nowadays, I very much believe. And there are gems. I'm not going to shit on everything, right? There are gems. There are beautiful pieces of work from directors who actually love and care about their films, who want to create art. But it's far and few in between because what these... Hollywood believes is that most people just want regurgitated the re garbage. Production trash. companies push that. I think what is the term? The DEI, right? Diversity, equity, inclusion. It's on the forefront, right? Yeah. That's what's important to them. And um, this movie, I would have to say, has all of that. And none of it's pushed. Yeah. It's all beautifully weaved into the story. You have an Asian woman as his daughter, a black man as his son. Uh, older gentleman as his doctor who in real life was black yeah and <laughs> right like, remember i i thought that was funny too he uh, he um the the what becomes the guide who is more virgil-esque and what yeah. becomes the guide was a white man um that was black and so i had paused the movie and i was like canceled <laughs> <laughs> you turn you can't you can't, can't that's that. like you can't do that you can't mm -hmm. do that you know and it was just funny it was just so funny it was like man this movie is just like a spit in the face of modern hollywood yeah it definitely pushes like it. what today's boundaries would be right and it's just very interesting because it's in the 90s it was like almost like we don't give a fuck yeah i do love <clears throat> um when he first goes into heaven there is some truth in oh Spit it, man. There's some truth in plain sight, dude. Thought is real. Physical is the illusion. Ironic, huh? <laughs> Cuba Gooding Jr. is talking about heaven. He's talking about reality. He's spitting truth. He opens a portal. Well, he opens yeah. a doorway, which it would looks like a vaginal canal. Yeah. Into heaven. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because we'll get into a bit of a uh, dangerous topic. Let's get dangerous. <laughs> Did you know 
that there was a fire at the Universal Studios lot. What was it like Satan coming up from hell being like, and he's mine? No, bro. I guess um, all copies of this film were lost during the fire. Was that the. Was that. I know there was multiple studios that caught fire and lost like a lot of music and whatnot. So it was kind of like that. But where it gets really interesting is they had to do like a worldwide hunt just to find the film. And I guess a copy was found. In Europe. Like, what do you mean, though? Because there had to be, like, VHSs everywhere. Well, it was the original film that they filmed it on. Oh, so the real. The real. Imagine spending millions of dollars and a fire destroys art. Someone really didn't like this film. It's probably Lucifer. (laughs) But what gets weirder is the themes of reincarnation. Yeah, what about it? Saturn, Moon, Matrix. You've lost me now. Well, we got the tinfoil on, so... Reincarnation was basically pushed into the end of this film. And the one critic... I'm sorry. The one critique that I do have about this movie is I didn't like the ending. Yeah, you mentioned that. You weren't really vibing with how it ended. The reincarnation. So I thought there was, I thought it was kind of interesting how Cuba Gooding Jr. opens up what kind of is like a portal to the afterlife, which I had mentioned looked like a vaginal canal. Uh, Right? Yeah. So there is this one scene where Robin Williams is running down a tunnel in the light is at the end of the tunnel. I remember that. Right? Yeah. So you know when people die, they they often say they Go see a light. the light. Right? And so you had the visual imagery in the film. So the Saturn Moon Matrix is this concept where this theory that when you die in this world, your energy gets recycled and you are reincarnated as a baby. Thus, the light at the end of the tunnel is the light through the vaginal canal as you're birthed back into reality. Where do you get the Saturn moon from? Uh, well, it's a lot of energy. I get the Matrix part. Makes sense. Saturn moon Matrix is basically, uh, you, you got to get deep into it, right? You got to get deep. deep. <laughs> um, but one of the things I didn't really like was how the reincarnated aspect was kind of played into this. I think that's a there's an alternate ending too. So when the DVD came out, there was an alternative ending that went that pushed the reincarnation even further. So because his wife committed suicide when she was reincarnated, it was kind of like karma where because she committed suicide in her past life, she had a short life. Well, I think you definitely ain't gonna like that ending. <laughs> and then, in this alternative ending, they were reincarnated a second time. So, because of their past sins, they had to go through a whole life again to where she died young. Chris had to live his life. Then they died and was reincarnated again. This is getting dangerous. And then they could live happily ever after. I'll stick to the Kanto Inferno <laughs> ending. Um, you can keep that. <laughs> he he talks about kind of the manifestation stuff where if you can imagine it, then it's real. The limits of reality are basically your imagination. It was on that Matrix, almost like hook movie type vibes where it's like, you think you can fly? I can can fly. fly. (laughs) Right? So, and the way that they shot this movie, we kept saying back and forth, it was like, this movie looks a lot like hook, dude. Like, I don't know if they had maybe the same production same designers say same like when the paint hits him and everything it just looked like 
you picked that out of the hook oh, and movie. Oh, got shit on by the bird. By the bird, and it was just like, but it was paint. It looked like straight out of like when uh, one of the Lost Boys throws paint on his face or whatever, and it's just like goo. <laughs> and he looks up at the bird. He was like, "Why isn't it moving?" <laughs> he was like, "Because you haven't allowed it to move. Because you haven't opened your mind, right? Free your." Get out your mind box. Yeah. Um, so a lot of similar elements from those movies, I guess, right? But it really touched on that in a in like a five to ten minute er a time when when I would say Cuba Gooding Jr. really had his time to shine in the movie mm -hmm. when is when it was when Chris goes into heaven and then Cuba kind of is laying the laws. He's kind of like saying, Well, there is no limit, mm -hmm. right? This is heaven. Welcome to heaven, right? I love when Robin Williams starts to challenge him on those, right? When he starts getting angry. Because he's saying that you can't go to hell to get a suicide. He said, there are no rules, right? There's nothing that I can't, if I can think it, I can do it, right? So he's but like it's, pushing, the, but it's never been done. Yeah. And he starts pushing those. And so those- Naruto run, Beatrice! <laughs> those parts of the film are just really emotional and very like, that is the performance that I did not expect to see from what I think of when I think of Robin Williams. I he's, think, a, he's a great actor. I think if they would have casted like a more serious actor for this movie, mm -hmm. it, it would have thrown the tone off. Yeah, it would have been too serious. Because the, the, the story of the loss of the children, his loss, and then the suicide of his wife is a tale of un... A series of unfortunate events. That's kind of like the description I have with life, right? Life mm -hmm. is a series of unfortunate events. And it constantly cascades and gets worse and worse and worse. And which it does in this story. Mm -hmm. But then when you tell a man you're in heaven and the only bounds, the only limit is your imagination... The first thing he does is fly. Oh, it's so beautiful. And then he was like, well, I'm just going to go to hell and get the woman <laughs> I love then. I don't care if it hasn't been done. I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like this. You don't see men characters like this anymore. No, they're not written this way. And yeah. I think it was very much from the writers and I guess obviously the way it was directed and portrayed ultimately to reach that narrative but it all stems from the way the character was written, I believe. So male characters nowadays are not written in that sense of I can do anything. I have no limits. No, male characters are put in little boxes mm -hmm. and like little trophies on the shelf. Mm -hmm. And so I guess nowadays is they're in the background, right? They're put, they're pushed behind because the new narrative is something very different. Um, and you can see that affecting Hollywood now. And in the same thing with the <clears throat> mother, um, I think the actress did a phenomenal job. Such a great... She did a very good job at showing you the depths of her pain. And that pain is only... That pain is there and it's real because as a woman and as a mother, she loved her children so much. And you saw that. When they're at the, the breakfast table, mm -hmm. you saw that, you know, she actually cares as a mother. And that's why she, she even went so far as to blame herself that if I had taken them, maybe my motherly instinct would have kicked in and I could have saved them. Mm -hmm. She blames herself for not going and taking them to school and sending them with like the nanny, I guess. Right. And so you definitely see like her pain of loss and her inwardly blaming herself which is causes her to go to the sanitarium um but then it gets to a point in the film where robin williams is like i can't live like this anymore and so he gives her a choice he says you know we can continue going down this road but if that's where we're going i have to go this way and it almost like brings her out of that state Whereas she doesn't want to lose anymore because they are very much soulmates. And so it's interesting to see that reversed at the end of the film when Robin Williams is trying to get her back. 
because he chooses to stay with her instead of leave her. So the parallels are there. What's interesting about Robin Williams playing this role was the pain behind the smile. And why I think that he was the perfect choice was retroactively, we now know what he was going through Mm -hmm. while he was filming this. His own depression, his own anxieties, mental health, and obviously thoughts of suicide. And interestingly enough, he chose to internalize it much like his on-screen character. Crazy. Because he probably similarly thought, as many men do. Many men. Oh, many men. Think that we have to internalize things, right? Because we have to be strong, because that's what we're taught from a very young age. Men are strong. However, men can be stronger together, right? So when you talk about things with each other, with people who may be going through the same things, we'll never know what Robin Williams' support system was like, right? Only the people closest to him know what he was going through. Um, I do remember seeing a little bit of the documentary is like he was going through dementia at the time as well. It was like personally not during this time, but towards um, when he passed away and committed suicide, he was starting not to be able to remember. He couldn't remember his lines. He couldn't act. He couldn't function the same way that he was used to. And for him, it was frustrating. Obviously, yeah. It was frustrating because he couldn't be the Robin Williams that everybody couldn't saw. perform at the same level. He couldn't perform. He couldn't even remember simple things. So his struggle with dementia ultimately caused him to commit suicide. And that's just from what I've seen and read. Um, Do you ever think about the afterlife? I have previously. Um, and it's something that obviously is on my mind and I'm sure yours being that we're all mortal. We're all going to go at some point in time. And so it also, for me, at at least, makes me think about my time here. Mm -hmm. So my time here is very important, I would say, because in the afterlife, it's not necessarily a guarantee. We don't know if there's an afterlife. It's still a mystery, a question. We won't know until we get there. It's interesting. The author, uh, Richard, the author of What Dreams May Come, said that basically this was like the greatest book he's written. Mm-hmm. He said that it, uh, I guess, basically the reception of the book um, helped a lot of people, maybe struggling with all of those same things you had just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Rob Williams was struggling in. Um, a lot of us struggle in. Um, a lot of people and they do it silently like you were saying Uh, but he said the author of the book he said that the only thing that was made up was the characters because the majority of the afterlife heaven hell was rooted in actual uh, test studies um, people coming back from the, like people being resuscitated and stuff like that. So it is interesting on how all that, uh, how all of that work went into him writing the book. Thus, you see that bleed through into the film mm-hmm. twenty years later. But the thoughts of the afterlife are interesting. I mean, do you do you do you ever like, or even when you were a kid, maybe you had a little bit more imagination, and that's why I love the concept of at least in his perspective his afterlife chris the main character ron williams mm. is that the afterlife was rooted in kind of his wife's paintings yes w- what do you see the afterlife as um so for me and i will also ask what you see yours as but for me the afterlife if i could if it could be anything I would want it definitely to be 
a place of beauty and of pure happiness, right? Much like how, like in the film, it's like a cliffside and it's paintings because that's what he really loved. So I imagine it would be something that I hold near and dear to myself. Um, and maybe it looks a little something like an ice castle or something. I don't know. Maybe okay, a, fortress. Right? Exactly. I don't. I don't know. And um, but it's interesting to conceive about, like, right? It's interesting to think about, like, what your afterlife would consist of and who you would meet along the way. So, is there anyone that you believe in the afterlife you may meet, much like Virgil? and chris met a guide yeah like who would your guide be i mean obviously i would want to see my parents mm -hmm. right uh friends family that 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 has been lost over the years people close to you first and foremost i'm romans 116 i'm unashamed of the gospel of jesus christ mm. so i don't dwell on the afterlife as much as i used to it used to take up a lot of space in my mind okay um Obviously, I am very much a fanatic of Dante's Inferno. I'm a fanatic of hell. Mm. Like, I, I do, like, uh, for a lot of my life, I was really, really closely tied to, like, the supernatural, demonology, mm -hmm. um, stuff like that. And that's why I think I gravitated to Dante's Inferno uh, so much. You just don't see a lot of that uh, anymore, I guess. At least not in my sphere. I don't see a lot of stories that capsulate the hero's journey through mm -hmm. hell like Dante's Inferno did. So when it comes to death, though, at this point in your life, what do you think about death? To die would be an awfully big adventure. Straight from one of my favorite films. Peter Pan. And it also reminds me of another line in a film with Robin Williams in it. Actually, his last line in a film that he was ever in. And the quote goes a little something like this. Um, Robin Williams asks uh, the main character of Night at the Museum, I believe it's three. And he asks him, so like what are your plans right or basically and he goes i don't i don't even know what i'm gonna do tomorrow and his response is my favorite thing he says how exciting and he gives him that robin williams smile and laugh and then he pans off and he freezes and that's the last time you ever see robin williams in a film and it's so emotional for me that was the last thing he said how exciting to not know what tomorrow brings. To not know what the rest of the journey is, mm -hmm. right? To die would be an awfully great adventure because you don't know what death will bring. Yeah, it's exciting. It's so beautiful and it's emotional. And Robin Williams' performances are some of the only performances that make me feel that way. One thing that has tied us together over the years as friends and has been a part of our journey together is i don't know when rob williams passed but it was like it had to be around circa 2012 ish Something. 2013 maybe mm, i believe 2013 um we were working together and we got the news together we were driving mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, we got the news that Rob Williams passed away. We stopped the vehicle, yeah. pulled over to the side of the road, and just sat there. Sort like, of in silence, right? Like, just like, what? And that, honestly, it's it's one of the moments in our friendship that I always remember as mm -hmm. like, you don't, you don't have a lot of, I mean, to have something and i think at that point in time in our friendship we hadn't even really talked a lot about ron williams yeah no no -uh. but then after that we both knew how much ron williams's performances meant to each other it bonded us even further yeah 
And it always makes me think back to when we lost Michael Jackson, uh, when Michael Jackson passed away, who we've also talked about on this show as well. But in the same vein, it makes me feel as though they were gone a little too soon, right? Michael was just on his comeback to do a whole new album, a whole new tour. Um, and Robin Williams, obviously, I believe he still had a lot of left performances and smiles to bring to people that we'll never get to see, right? Um, so much like that, just gone too soon. What a great film, Josh. What an epic piece of art from the 90s. Man, 90s always win. They out here just creating stuff that can't not be replicated in this day and age. Um, highly recommended. Uh, I, this whole experience was a treat from talking about this episode to watching the movie together to recording this episode, <laughs> putting it all together for you out there. We appreciate you watching this. Uh, I appreciate you being here, man. Yeah, We're in man. the dojo together. And this is just, every time we do this, it is <laughs> such a journey. Of, of ups and downs and of heaven and hell, man. I, it's a journey of self-discovery, man, but what I'm really excited is that we got to uh, spend this time together and to show you something new. You have never seen this movie before, so I'm glad you got that experience. Robin Williams will stand the test of time. Give on. His, his acting, his energy reverberates through pop culture today, through the 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 film through everything that he was a part of that we can now experience in the present is just a treat and much like robin williams we always keep smiling we stay nostalgic and just remember to die would be an awfully great adventure so until next time friends stay nostalgic on that eternal quest to get back 2D Basics.